long before I was born. My older brother, I have two older brothers, an older sister, the sister's now in heaven, but my oldest brother uh, was in elementary school and my mom got a telephone call from the teacher and the teacher said, uh, Mrs. Wood, I need to report something about your son. I'm, I'm concerned about him. And my mom said, well, you know, what is it? Well, today in class, uh, the students were supposed to turn in their homework and one of the girls did not have her assignment done. And your son called her a foolish virgin. Now, my mother was amused too and had the opportunity to share with the teacher from Matthew 25. If you would please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, something that all elementary age children should be familiar with and all the rest of us as well. This is God's word. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took, the, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time... The master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. 
His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what he has will be taken from him and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. This passage comes in the context of that week when Jesus was about to be crucified. And Jesus has been talking with them 
about the events that are going to happen and about the events that will take place at the end of human history as we know it. When the Lord returns and the message over and over and over is one of be prepared, be ready, live now in light of that. This is what's coming. You need to be ready, you need to be focused, and you need to be doing what the Master has told you to do. It also focuses on the fact that judgment is coming. We started this morning with chapter 25, but I want to remind you how chapter 24 ends because there were no chapter divisions in the Gospels when they were written. All of that was added later to make it easier for us to study and find things. But look back at the end of chapter 24. Who then is the beginning in verse 45 of chapter 24? Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And if you look at what Jesus says in chapter 25, verse 30, throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then at the end of the chapter, they will go away, these, to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. May God help us to understand and believe what he says. Jesus is coming. He's coming again. And judgment is coming. And the consequences are going to be eternal. I have made plenty of mistakes in my life. In some cases, my mistake was correctable. We can fix that. In some cases, there was nothing I could do to make things right. I couldn't undo it. And it may have been little stuff, like my uncle's house in Montreat sat empty most of the time. I had time on my hands. And one day, as I was just kind of goofing around, I went up to my uncle's back door, which was a screen door. The adults here will remember screen doors. 
and, and we'll remember the way that a lot of them had a little eye hook lock, okay? And I began to wonder if I did it just right, if I could get that little eye hook lock to lock the screen door as if it was locked from the inside. Now, that's not an easy thing to do, but, but I worked at it. And after a number of attempts, I actually got the little hook to drop into the little loop, thereby locking the screen door as if from the inside. Well, that was kind of neat. wonder if I can do the front door. So I went around to the front door. And I started messing with it. And sure enough, after a number of attempts, I was able to get the screen door in front to lock. Now the consequence of this is, wow, wow, wow. My uncle's going to come to use his home, and after a long drive from Talladega, Alabama, to Montreat, North Carolina, he's going to go up to the door with his luggage, and he's going to find the screen door is locked. Now this is a problem. How am I going to get in? I'm going to have to, well, we'll just go around back. We'll just open the back door, go in that way. When he gets to the back door, he's going to find the screen door is locked. How can, how can, who's in the house? How could this happen? Well, I felt guilty. But I sure didn't want to tell anybody. It was probably about, I couldn't undo it, see. I would have had to, you know, tear the screen, and, which is probably what he had to do, or he may have just gone, and opened the door and then fixed it later. Don't know. But about two years later, the Lord convicted me that I needed to go and confess to my uncle while he was there on vacation that, hey, um, that was me. Now, that didn't undo what I had done, but it was the best I could do. You understand? I couldn't fix the door. That was all water under the bridge. By this time, he had dealt with it. and He never said anything about it. I mean, why would he? Because who would suspect moi? But the fact of the matter is, the consequences of that misconduct on my part were small. They were small for my uncle. It was a repairable problem. And they were small for me. I confessed to my uncle, and that was the end of the matter. He certainly forgave me. He was very gracious about it. He was a wonderful Christian man. But Jesus is talking about something else. And that is the fact that there is a day of reckoning coming. And if you have lived a life of obedience, seeking to do God's will because he is your Lord and Master, then you're going to receive eternal rewards that are beyond what you and I can comprehend. But if, on the other hand, 
You have lived your life hanging out with the folks who are seeking to follow the Lord or not hanging out with them. But you yourself lived like the pagans, eating and drinking and as if he's not coming back. Does that mean we're not supposed to eat? No, it means we are to do everything we do for the glory of God. Even our eating, even our drinking, everything we do, whatever we're doing, the way that we work, the way we handle money. Everything we do is supposed to be done in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. The reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I want to please him. Now, does this mean we're earning our salvation? No, it means we are displaying our salvation. We are manifesting whether or not we're saved. None of us could possibly earn our salvation. The only way that we can be saved is by what Jesus did for us. He paid our debt. He took our punishment. He died so that we could live. But if you have received him, you don't stay the same. Asking God to save us is not simply asking God to forgive us. I asked my uncle to forgive me. I didn't ask him to be my Lord and Master. You understand? Just asking God to forgive you is not salvation. Recognizing that you need forgiveness and you need someone else to be in charge of your life, that is the evidence that God has saved you. And so you live differently. These foolish virgins, verse 11 of chapter 25, came later and said, Sir, sir, open the door for us. You know what they said literally? Lord, Lord, open the door for us. That's the literal. I don't know why the modern translators think that it's going to make it better if they don't do that. Because Jesus said, In Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And I will say to them exactly what he says here. Depart from me. I never knew you. Verse 12, but he replied, I tell you the truth. I don't know you. So there will be many who will say, Lord, Lord. They'll call him Lord, but they don't yield their lives to him. Why not? They just don't feel like it. Just don't want to. It's more than that. You have a Lord. You have a master. Christian or non-Christian, you are not your own boss. Eve had a master, and it was God who made her. And he said, don't eat the fruit of that tree. 
And the serpent said, don't believe him. You don't have to do what he says. If you eat the fruit of that tree, you'll be like him. You can be your own boss. You can be your own God. You can have it your way. You can do your own thing. Satan always offers us the opportunity to be in charge. And he's a liar and the father of lies. When you take his word for it and don't believe God's word and don't obey God's word, you're not free. You're a slave to the serpent. What a bad deal. Do you want the way that leads to life or do you want the way that leads to death? Those are the only two roads. Well, I, I, don't, I don't know that I deserve to go to heaven. Oh, you don't. I had an opportunity recently to reconnect with a dear friend who our time on Cape Cod. He came to see me because he had seen God do something impressive. I had just offered a prayer at a baccalaureate service, and God, I'll tell you the story. We're standing on the beach for a baccalaureate service on Cape Cod. His child was one of the seniors, and the insects were just eating us alive. It was a beautiful scene and a horrible moment, okay? And so everybody's just getting chewed up, and their little student musicians are doing their opening number and all, and we're all kind of standing there going like this. It's just terrible. I mean, everybody was miserable with these voracious insects going after us. And so then I'm supposed to open with prayer after the music, and so I just said, Lord, we thank you for this happy occasion. We're so glad we can be here. Uh, it really would be wonderful if you would send a strong breeze right now and blow these insects away. And immediately, immediately, this very strong breeze blew the music off the music stands of the musicians and blew the bugs away and continued to blow while we met there. And, you know, I was delighted. I don't always see that dramatic and immediate a result when I pray, but God knew on this occasion it was exactly what was needed because it didn't just deal with the bugs. It dealt with a man's heart. He had never seen anything like that before. So he came to see me at the church. He was not from our church. But he came in and he said, uh, Listen, I'm, I'm really glad to uh, get to talk with you. He said, I've never seen anything like what happened down at the beach the other night. He said, that was absolutely amazing. I said, yes, it was, wasn't it? And he said, well, listen, I need to talk to you. And he began to tell me about the fact that he did bad things, and he felt guilty about it. And he said, I just feel like I, I, just feel like I, I don't deserve God's love. And I said, well, you're right, you don't. And he said, no, I, I, I really mean it. And he began to tell me more stuff that he had done wrong and that he did wrong. And uh, he concluded his little serenade by saying, 
And I just, I just feel like I don't deserve God's love. And I said, well, you're right, you don't. And he said, no, really. And he launched into another description of other bad things that he had done because he wanted to convince me that this is real and that he really didn't deserve God's love. And when he said it the third time, I said for the third time, well, you're right, Norman. You don't deserve God's love. And he started again, and then he stopped, and he said, what did you say? I said, you don't deserve God's love. He was utterly shocked because I'd just broken a pattern that he'd been in for years, which is when you feel really guilty, you go see a member of the clergy in one of the churches in town, and you tell them you don't feel worthy of God's love, and they tell you, oh, no, it's not that bad. I mean, everybody sins. You know, we all make mistakes, and, and you know, it's, it, you, you are a good person, basically, and, and, you know, it's just sometimes you do the wrong thing. But we can all relate to that, and God doesn't mind. He understands. And that would prop him up for a little while, and he'd go out and do a bunch more bad things. But he just heard something different. A preacher who looks at him and says three times, you're right, you don't deserve God's love. He was shocked. And I said, but Norman, he loves you. And that's why you're here today. He really does love you. Not because you deserve it. I don't deserve God's love. Jesus died for sinners. We don't deserve it. We deserve God's wrath. And that's why Jesus died in our place. He took the punishment that we deserve. God made him, the sinless one, become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Norman had never really heard the gospel. Somebody may have said it to him, but he'd never heard it. But he did that day. And he gave his life to Jesus. And now he's even older than I am. And he's still living for Jesus with great joy. Let me just tell you something. Jesus saves sinners. None of us deserves it. But he still saves those who trust in him. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to deserve it. You just need to say, God, please have mercy on me. Save me. And by save me, it's not just forgive me. I'm saying it again. It's I want you to give me a new life. I want you to change me from the inside out. You're my only hope. I can't fix myself. You may be saying, I've tried. I really have. I've tried to turn it around. Well, it doesn't work, does it? But Jesus will not only forgive us, he'll change us. He'll transform us. And that's what God is offering to you this day. The foolish virgins went with others to greet the Lord, but the bridegroom was a long time coming. In the parable of the talents, the master went away, and he was gone a long time. 
In the parable of the sheep and the goats, it was a long time. And you and I have to be in it for the long haul, not for a weekend. It's not, well, you know, I, you know I, I, I hear all these things about the signs of the time and the Lord's return and so forth, so as long as the Lord will come before I turn 30, I'll, uh, yeah, I can, I can hang in there that long. We're talking about a lifetime. And even though it seems long to us, the fact of the matter is, as I told someone recently, it goes by very quickly. You'll be amazed how it seems to pick up speed as, as you roll downhill. <laughs> it's just astounding as gravity relentlessly pulls your body down into the ground. You find what used to be high cheekbones down here as jowls. <laughs> Just below your chin. I just, I'm just telling you. Say, well, I can't relate to that. I'm young. Well, you won't be always. Every now and then I see somebody who's had a lot of work done, you know. They, they, they can't really smile anymore except sort of that fixed smile. Sort of like a moon pie that somebody drew on. <laughs> I have an appointment in July to try and get this eye back where I can see again because I went in to get glasses and the doctor said, uh, has your eye always been like that? And I said, well, somewhat, but not like, not like it is now. And he said, well, I think some of your vision problem is because your eye is closing. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> you know, if your eyes are closed, you can't see. So, so I'm going to look. Apparently, now I don't know, I haven't met with the guy yet, but I think I'm going to look younger on one side. So, it's called brephoplasty, and they, they work on your eyelids. And he said, I said, so they'll, they'll trim the eyelid? He said, well, they're probably going to tuck the eyebrow up a little bit, too. I just want you to know, if that happens, it's so I can see you, not so that you'll think I look good. Okay. But the fact of the matter is, I know you can't believe this, but it seems like just a few years ago that I was your age. Standing at my uncle's back door, trying to get that hook to fall into that ring. That was just, that was just really recent. Or at least that's what it feels like. Are you going to be ready when he comes? You see, once he comes, there are only two outcomes. Either you're one of his or you're not. Well, I've got to touch on one more thing. There's more to this passage, but in terms of what I need to say, Jesus talks about what you do for the least of these brothers of mine. We have a misconception in much of the church today. It's popular, it's romanticized, it's made it into music and books and sermons and all kinds of things, and that is whatever you do for anybody who's down and out, 
you do for Jesus, because that's Jesus right there. Did you see Jesus sitting there on the sidewalk with the bottle of booze, drunk out of his mind and slumped over? And You know, you may walk by and just think how disgusting, but folks, that's Jesus. That's, that's what's being sung and taught and preached and, and lived by a lot of people. They think that Jesus is just, you know, wherever there's a homeless person, wherever there's a, a child in need, because after all, we're, we're all just Jesus in disguise. No. That's not what this says. The word he used there is the word for my brothers. And so if you want to understand where you'll find Jesus, look at what he said to the self-righteous Pharisee who was out rounding up Christians to persecute them and even kill them. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. How is he persecuting Jesus? Because those who are in Christ are his body. His brothers and sisters are part of a body that he is building, drawing together from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So what you're saying is that we can just treat the wino who's passed out on the sidewalk as a worthless piece of garbage. No, I'm not saying that at all. The Bible tells us we should do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. So we don't treat everybody the same, and we don't think of Jesus as being in everybody, because he's not. He said to the Pharisees, you are not children of God, you are children of your father, the devil. But what we need to know is this, we too were once objects of wrath. We also were under the dominion of darkness. Our master was the prince of darkness, but God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. And so we treat everybody well, but don't make the mistake of thinking that everybody is a manifestation of Jesus. And therefore, do recognize that you'd better be very careful how you treat other believers. Because sometimes they're the ones we treat the worst. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, your worship does more harm than good. Why? Because your doctrine wasn't sound? No, that's not what he's talking about. Well, was it because you didn't have the right kind of music released by the right groups? No, that wasn't what he was talking about. He said, within the church, you have people going hungry while other people are feasting. It's not okay. You're behaving selfishly. You need to love one another. 
So, brothers and sisters, let us love one another. For love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God, knows God. One who doesn't love doesn't know God. God is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. We know we don't deserve it, but we are so grateful that you give us new life. You not only forgive, you transform from the inside out. You make all things new, and so we praise and worship you this day. We ask that your Holy Spirit would continue that work you have begun and that you would make us like Jesus and bind our hearts together in devotion to you. We'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.